Ezekiel 22, 26 through 30 is our main text. This um, passage that we're going to read is part of the entire chapter of 22, which is a context of God speaking some, uh, some harsh realities about His people. And uh, in verse 26, the beginning of our text, He kind of hones in on three particular groups of, of people amongst His nation Israel, and then he kind of brings this call uh, through the prophet out. And we'll just read from 26 through 30. Speaking of her, of Israel's, Israel's priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They've made no distinction between the holy and the profane. And they have, taught the di- and they have not taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they hide their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. And then he turns and talks about princes, right? Her princes within her are like wolves tearing the prey by shedding blood and destroying lives in order to get dishonest gain. And then speaking of prophets, he says, And her prophets have smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions, divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord when the Lord has not spoken. The people of the land have practiced oppression and committed robbery and they have wronged the poor and the needy and have oppressed the sojourner without justice. And then that call goes out, right? And I searched for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But in this day, he spoke through the prophet and he said, I found no one. This was a a humbling passage to prepare uh, this week. You know, I I was just seeking God for a message this Father's Day. And as um, I was thinking about that, you know, you do do, some searching and you kind of see what's out there, what people are preaching on. And, um, you know, there's uh, like, you know, your awesome dad. or Like there's these real great titles out there, right? And... um, One of the things that I have kind of meditated on in years past and, you know, you know, off and on through through that time was the phenomenon of the American church. And if you've been a part of the church for a number of years, some of you decades, right? And some of you, you came to the church as a young one, as a child. And it was probably in your childhood where a phenomenon in America took off where it was the megachurch. Where churches stopped to be more like community churches and they started to grow and, and draw larger nets of people. And just maybe it was like the advent of Costco and Walmart and just them taking off and how we began to plan our lives uh, around large companies and we began to to really organize where we shop and what we do, how we interface around that large organization and that small store we began to visit less frequently. They had less items inventory 
And the pricing wasn't as competitive because they couldn't buy in the quantities that these large companies could. And so uh, these large companies began to grow larger and larger and as we've seen and witnessed over the last few decades, the smaller storefronts began to shrink, dwindle, and even close down. And the larger chains that could not kind of keep wind with the consumer, they too faltered. And you see bankruptcies and you know filings and, and all of this happening for even large companies in these even recent years. And I began to always meditate on the, the parallel between that and the church in America. Because you found the rise of these churches that began to be more than hundreds and thousands and into the tens or hundreds of thousands all around the world. And my wife and I, after marriage, we moved to Korea and we lived there for four years. And the phenomenon there was even greater. I mean, we're talking about churches that you could not even fathom the size of them. And it was unreal, right? And so that's, that's the reality. And when I go to passages like this... This is a hard passage to preach on, right? And so for a prophet to stand and to speak this message to a group of people was not an easy message for the audience to stomach. I mean, it was one that would kind of turn you off a little bit, right? So the speaker had to have a hard face, right? And, uh, you know, there's a phrase in Korean called iron face, right? The Korean phrase is called cholpan, right? Where you, you, you're just like... You can say anything and you don't care what the other people think, right? And that, that, that iron face. And in a sense, Ezekiel needed that. And this is a type of message when you speak to a group of people where you need to have that sense of boldness. And not disregard for people, but a high regard for the messenger, the, the God who you're speaking on behalf of, and you're able to speak to a group of people, though it be difficult to say. All right? And I, I, I look at a passage like this in the context of when it was written, and I kind of try to overlay that because, you know, I've visited, as you have, many churches through the years, right? Small and large. And by and large, when I go to the church nowadays, the message that you hear is one of encouragement. Like, we're, we're, it's a larger gathering of people and we're really trying to pick out and every message is like an encouragement fest, right? And you're just, you're just speaking good of people and you're, you're saying how awesome they are. And, and, and a message like this is few and far between where you're calling people out, making it uncomfortable for them to sit in the chair that they're at. And more often than not, we're kind of stroking the ego. We're saying, you know, hey, we're so glad you made it here today. And, and we're just kind of in that vein. And, and the larger you get as a church, the more prone you are to that. And I've seen that, especially in times in years past when I have chances, you know, the, the larger the audience, you're trying to hit a message that hits the, 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 that common denominator, right? And so when you're trying to hit hundreds or thousands of people, you're trying to speak a message that will reach as many people as possible. And more often than not, you default to a certain type of message, right? And nowadays, especially in the world in church today, we vote with our feet, don't we? Right? And uh, it's like we have so many options available to us that if I don't like the way that they set up shop there, I don't like the merchandise, we vote with our feet and we shop somewhere else. We put a quick review of what we, what we said, what we thought about that previous place, right? And that's kind of how it is. The empowerment of the consumer is the modern day phenomenon. 
right? It's like one Yelp review will make you or break you, it seems, if you're a small business. And so the businesses are trying to appease and to really bring the customer in and lift them up truly as royalty, as king, and say, you will be treated well when you come here, right? Because that's, that's how it is. We vote with those reviews, and we vote with our feet, and we got so many options, right? And it's the same with the church, right? I mean, you go down any street of the city, I mean, you just type in church on Google Maps, and I mean, red dots everywhere. You zoom out, you zoom in, and they, they just appear everywhere. There's so many churches, so many flavors, so many different types and locations and personalities. And in the midst of all of that, we seem to have this smorgasbord to say, I can just eat as I please, right? The days of when you eat whatever was put in front of you are like, those are gone. It's like, you know, I, I want to choose what I eat. Like, I want like 10 different options, have my open plate and say, I feel like this today. And that's what I put on my spiritual plate. And that's what I eat, right? And so the days when there was one temple of the city, so to speak. The days when there was a prophet that spoke for God. In the days when people did not come to worship in the synagogue, they didn't go to the synagogue that day. Like, when we're talking about the options being fewer and far between in this day, and Ezekiel speaking a message that was hard to palate and stomach as a recipient, this would fly in the face of the modern population, I think. Right? Because you hear a message like this, you're like, ah, you know, I, I don't know. It's like, uh, okay, I was kind of off a little bit today, right? And, and we, we vote with our presence in that way. And so today in this message, this Father's Day message, if I can call it that, I titled it The Stand, kind of alluding to what, what Ezekiel was calling forth in verse 30. I searched for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. And God had this, this intent that he was going to raise up an oppressor because he looked amongst his nation, Israel, and you just kind of peruse right from the beginning of the chapter, and it, you just see everything that God saw. You know, they, they treated father and mother lightly, the alien they oppressed in their midst, the, uh, the fatherless and the widow they have wronged, and it went forth in the, the different sexual practices and how they just forgotten God it talked about in verse 12. And this came up before the Lord and God says, I have really intended now to bring judgment over the people and I'm looking out at everybody and I'm watching and I want somebody to stand in between me and the nation so that I will not send the oppressor and save this land. But as I looked out, there was no one. I didn't see anyone who would build up that wall. And Ezekiel is calling out to all of the men. God was looking. He visited your living room. He went by your workspace and he passed you by, he was saying. He passed you by, right? And he shouldn't have. He should have found one person in which would be the stop to the calamity that would come upon this nation, and he found no one, it says. How many people would have been thought of as elders of the temple, as, as, as prophets, as people who spoke for God, as spiritual individuals, and yet amongst all of the population, God says, I found 
absolutely no one. And I find that so humbling. And I, I, I really believe that that call still goes forth where God is searching. He's looking for, for individuals who will stand in a space before Him, between Him and people, and say, I will pray for its peace. I will intercede on behalf that it would seek the heart of God and stand in that hard place. I mean, anybody who's ever been a soldier or understands warfare, the place where you don't stand is in the middle, the middle ground, right? Because you get fire from both ends, right? That when you have a boss and people that you're managing, if you are a middle manager in a company, that is a difficult position. Why? You're getting hounded from the top and you're getting beat up from the bottom. It's a difficult position, right? And so when you're in the middle space somewhere, that is a hard place. That is a hard place. And God is looking for people who will stand in a difficult space and do a, uh, and have a responsibility that is absolutely paramount, that is so important for the generation, right? And in this chapter, the three that we read about in our particular passage of note from verse 26, the priests, the princes, and the prophets, he calls out the priests and he says, the priests have violated my law. Uh, the, you know, they didn't distinguish between what was holy and unholy. And they didn't regard the Sabbath as holy, right? And the priests didn't teach that, the scripture says. That they did not tell that to the people and teach them the difference between unclean and clean. And to the princes that devouring and dishonest gain to the prophets, the imagery of whitewash on walls. I don't know how many of you have ever built a wall before, all right? Or if you ever tiled a bathroom, you know, you put stuff on and there's like stuff that you hold it together with, right? I mean, uh, there are houses that are built well and houses that are built poorly. And how it looks on the outside really has nothing to do with how well it was constructed, right? And so uh, the imagery that Ezekiel is bringing out of this whitewash, other translations will say untempered mortar. Mortar is what you put in between bricks, right? It's kind of like the, the, the composition of materials that you use to make a wall, right? And so in the days, whether they would use mud or like in our day, we would use cement or different types of things to put stones and stack them and make sure they are stuck together well. And the imagery here is that the content, the packing material for this wall that put these stones and bricks together one over the other layer after after layer was not done properly, it was done quickly, and the ingredients were all off. And all they did was plaster it with whitewash. It's as if you put drywall over something hollow. There's no two by fours or steel behind it, and all it is is a surface that you can punch through, lean on, and it will fall over. It does not weather the wind. And it was that type of a structure saying that they have just whitewashed it. And the imagery was, that they spoke things and said, this is what God says, but God didn't say it. Ezekiel speaks of this in chapter 13. If we kind of like go back there in chapter 13, just real quick. Chapter 13 of, of, of the same chapter, verse 10. It says this, 
It is de uh, definitely because they have misled my people by saying peace when there is no peace. And when anyone builds a wall, behold, they plaster it over with whitewash, it says in chapter 13, verse 10. And it's that same thing, because God is intending to bring an oppressor over the people. And as that word is going out, the prophets around the king were saying, don't worry, king. You're good. You're doing a good job. The people are, you guys are just fine. Peace. God is going to bring peace. God is going to bring peace. And that's what all of the prophets were saying. And God is saying they say peace when there is no peace. They're saying something on my behalf when I have not said that. And he gives the imagery. All they are doing is building a hollow wall and putting white plaster over it. They're covering it, making sure, oh, it looks like a, a well-built home. Like, wow, this is great, but it will not weather the devastation. It cannot stand the test of time. It will fall, is what he's saying, right? And so in the midst of the priests and the princes and the prophets saying and doing things that are really turning the heart of God upside down, Ezekiel is standing there and proclaiming a message to all of the people and saying, God is looking for a person who will build the wall properly, who will use the ingredients and take the time and make sure the stones behind the plaster are firm. That it's the right words. They're seeking the heart of God, living with integrity, seeking holiness, understanding that this should be separated as holy before the Lord. And they live in that manner. They, they worship in that manner. And that is the imagery of how God is looking for a person that will build the wall. In verse 30, I'm looking for someone who will not live like these priests, princes, and prophets, and people right now. And I'm searching for someone who will understand that the Sabbath is holy. I'm searching for someone who will live and not have dishonest gain. I'm searching for somebody who will speak a hard word and say the things that are on my heart. And not just paint over, just brush it under and speak things. And this was a message that I felt that I needed to speak to men, being Father's Day. We're not all fathers here, right? But if you are a man, like, I'm not going to talk about kind of the, the, the gender things and all that too much, right? But I just want to say this simply from a biblical standpoint. If you are a living, breathing male and one day or at present you are leading a family, God has called you as a head. Now, I'm not talking about everything, and I'm not going to talk about what that means in terms of subordination and go through all the nuances in this message. I believe the role of the women is high and supreme. The influence that she has is great. But I just want to hearken back to the imagery that if you are a man, born a male, God will, has, give you a family, and you will lead in spaces. And as such, God calls you as a head, as a leader in that way. And and in that position, in that position, we will have to say and do things that are difficult. Difficult. The way we will lead our current or future spouses and children is one of a holy calling. Right? 
And God will call us as men to lead our wives and the next generation as Christ sacrificed and loved the church. In that same vein, loved giving his life, but spoke the hard reality truths to lead them in, in a place of God's blessing. True blessing, not a veneer of it. And so how we lead in our homes or even in the workspace. I wanted to share this message. I felt it was deep on my heart and God was speaking it to me because in a certain sense I felt indicted by this message, this passage, when it talked about the priests who did not teach a distinction between the clean and the unclean and they disregarded the Sabbath. And in a sense, I, I, I felt indicted by that that I needed to speak to our church of greater importance and weight, what it meant to uphold the Sabbath, of what it meant to honor the Lord and decide and distinguish between what is holy before the Lord and what should not be and considered unclean. That that was something that God spoke deeply to me, to me. And so in this space of leading people, whether it be a generation of people or the nuclear family that God has entrusted to me. That the things that God should do and speak through me are sometimes difficult, but extremely necessary. And he's searching, still to this day, and he's looking for individuals who will stand in a space that Ezekiel called the gap. Don't you call it a gap for a reason? It means nobody is presently there. If, if somebody was there, there's no gap there. It's like filled, right? A gap means it's empty, right? A gap means most people don't want to be there. It's the position, the title that nobody wants to have. It's the job description and the responsibility that we shun and say, ah, I don't like that. That's not it, right? It's uncomfortable. That's why it's a gap. It's because there's a vacancy there and God is looking for people who will decide to intentionally stand in a place where other people are avoiding at all costs. The gap. And it reminds me continually that God looks so looks at things so differently than we do. Because like you, I go into this passage of what we read in 22. Like how many people were there in the nation? I mean, how many people still went to the temple every, every week? Uh, how many people were opening up scrolls and, and teaching? Uh, like how many people were considered noble or spiritual to have authority? In the common day there, if we were to walk those streets, we would have probably wrote a full list of people that we thought, oh, they're standing there. They're, they're doing that, right? But it's uncanny how the, the scripture goes out at the end of our passage and it says, though I searched for just one, right? I didn't find anybody. And it shows me that God looks differently. Like he looks at things differently than I do, right? And I, I spoke of that kind of briefly, talking about, you know, like King Saul and, and David, how King Saul looked the part. And even when Samuel was supposed to go out and look for another king because God had rejected Saul, he wanted any, probably any of the other sons of Jesse. But God chose David, the young ruddy one. Right? And you look to Jesus' day when there were so many spiritual people, whether they were in the office of a Pharisee or Sadducee or scribe, and yet the word of Jesus to many of those folks was a woe 
was like, ah, right? And it just shows us that God looks deep into the heart and He sees what's lying there in motivation, in the worship of our hearts. And He's still looking and peering and wanting. And so I, I guess the general call of this passage and message today is to say, let's be people that stand for three things. As, as I maybe kind of summarized the priest, the prince, and the prophet in our passage. Let's be individuals that, number one, stand for holiness. Because that was the fault of the priests. They didn't make a distinction. Like, everything was like grade, right? Their worship was grade, their work was grade. Like, everything was just kind of grade. There was no distinction between what was holy and unholy, clean or unclean, what was a Sabbath day, what was not a Sabbath day, right? And, and so let's first take a stand in that way. I, I, I want to encourage and, and say to you today, let's take a stand for holiness, number one. And number two, a stand for integrity. That was the fault of the, the princes, of the dishonest gain and the devouring of people, right? And we will have chances in our careers and in our personal lives to gain ground on other people and to do it at the expense of integrity. We will all have secret chances to do that. But though our bosses or colleagues or subordinates or family members don't see those actions and they can only see the end fruit and the advancement of our careers or stature or possessions, even though they can only see that, let us act and move and speak for that audience of one who sees the innermost chamber of our motivation. And let's take a stand for holiness. Let's take a stand for integrity and shun dishonest gain. To take a position at the expense of stepping on and abusing others, let's say that won't be me. If I have to take a cut in position or pay but uphold integrity, I will do so. Let's that be our heart. And three, let's take a stand for God's voice. And this was the, the prophet, right? The prophet who spoke things on behalf of God's name that God was not speaking. And, and this takes an individual who will first seek to hear what God is saying. And I, I woke up like at two o'clock this morning and I couldn't get back to sleep. And so when I can't get back to sleep, I, I try for about 15 minutes. If I can't get back to sleep within 15 minutes, I get up. Anybody else like that? Because uh, I don't want to waste that time then. It, like, I'm not just going to roll around in bed and just like, because I'm not resting, right? So I, I'd rather get up and do something. So I got up and I went downstairs and I, and I just sat on my desk with my, with my Bible. And I went back to the passage that we were about that we're reading, you know, um, in Ezekiel 22 and also in 13. And then I just decided just to go back to the beginning of the book. And I went back to the first chapter of this prophecy. And I, I don't know, I, I changed the, the second half of this message. The second half of this message is just to summarize the first three chapters. And just to allow this to speak to you. And so in your Bible, if you could, just go to the first three chapters and we'll start at chapter one. Kind of peruse, highlight a few things. 
in chapter 1, I was kind of mesmerized by this vision that Ezekiel was seeing. He saw this vision of four figures. Each of them had four heads and some wings, right? It was uh, the face of uh, a man, the face of a lion, the face of a bull, and the face of an eagle. And they had wings that were spread out, touching, and another set covering their bodies. Had legs that were straight and feet like the hooves of, of, of calves. And it was an, a strange image, right? And as this image was being shown in all of its brilliance to Ezekiel, he continues on in chapter 1 and he says, I saw this, kind of like this glory above and it was this radiance, right? And as this radiance was there, there was a voice that began to call out and, and speak to Ezekiel, right? And it was the voice of the Almighty, he mentions in verse 24. And I, I, I kind of want to just, I'll read a little bit. Verse 24, I also heard the sound of, uh, of their wings like the sound of abundant waters as they went like the voice of the Almighty, a sound of tumult like the sound of an army camp. Whenever they stood still, they dropped their wings and there came a voice from above the expanse that was over their heads. Whenever they stood still, they dropped their wings. Now above the expanse that was over their heads, there was something resembling a throne. And this is the presence of God he's seeing now, right? like a lapis lazuli in appearance, and on that which resembled a throne, high up was a figure with the appearance of a man. Then I noticed from the appearance of his loins and upward, and, and upward something like glowing metal that stood like fire all around within it, and from the appearance of his loins and downward I saw something like fire, and there was a radiance around him. And as the appearance of the rainbow in the sky on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. And then he said to me, verse chapter 2, verse 1, Son of man, stand on your feet that I may speak with you. And as he spoke with me, the Spirit entered me, and he set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. And then he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the sons of Israel, to a rebellious people who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. And I am sending you to them who are stubborn and obstinate children. And you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, As for them, whether they listen or not, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, neither fear them nor fear their words, though thistles and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions. Neither fear their words nor be dismayed at their presence, for they are a rebellious house. But you shall speak my words to them, whether they listen or not for they are rebellious. Now you, son of man, listen to what I am speaking to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I am giving you. Then I looked. Behold, a hand was extended to me, and lo, a scroll was in it. When he spread it out before me, it was written on the front and back, and written on it were lamentations, mourning, and woe. Then he said, chapter 3, Then he said to me, Son of man, 
eat what you find eat this scroll and go speak the uh, go and uh, go speak to the house of Israel so I opened my mouth and he fed me this scroll and he said to me son of man feed your stomach and fill your body with this scroll which I am giving you then I ate it and it was sweet as honey in my mouth and then he said to me son of man go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them for you are not being sent to a people of unintelligible speech or difficult language but to the house of Israel nor to many peoples of unintelligible speech or difficult language whose words you cannot understand but I have sent you to them who should listen to you yet the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you since they are not willing to listen to me surely the whole house of Israel is stubborn and obstinate behold I have made your face as hard as their faces and then he goes on verse 12 then the spirit lifted me up and I heard great rumbling sound behind me blessed be the glory of the Lord in his place and I heard the sound of the wings of the living beings touching one another and the sound of the wheels beside them even a great rumbling sound so the spirit lifted me up and he took me away And I went embittered in the rage of my spirit, and the hand of the Lord was strong on me. Then I came to the exiles who lived beside the river Chabar in Tel Aviv, and I sat there seven days where they were living, causing consternation among them. Now it came about at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, I have appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you do not warn him or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way that he may live, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Yet, if you have warned the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered yourself. And again, when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I place an obstacle before him, he shall die since you have not warned him. He shall die in his sin, and his righteous deeds which he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. And this is kind of what was just in my heart as I was reading early this morning. And after I read that, I kind of summarized these first few chapters. And I just wanted to bring that summary to you as I closed. And the first summary would be that we would be individuals that closely and deeply encounter God's presence. And that I, I just put that out as a call. I mean, for Ezekiel, this was, he's one of the prophets. Uh, I mean, actually a lot of the prophets you wouldn't want to be, like how they treated them. Uh, But he had a message, you know, um, him and also like Jeremiah, that was a difficult message. And this imagery of him being handed a scroll and eating it and just falling on his face before the presence of God, that is necessary like if we want to be able to to stand in a space and speak like ezekiel we first need to be individuals that are close to the heart of god that we've encountered his presence and that his spirit is driving us 
And I do want to point out that in our main passage of chapter 22, when he says, I searched for a man to stand in the gap, I want to point this out. That I think there, it was, uh, it was like Ezekiel, effectively, was a man who was standing in the gap. But he wasn't looking for a prophet or a priest to stand in the gap. He was looking for a man amongst his people. And if you were to put that in common day terms, that he's not looking for a pastor to stand in the gap. Right? Someone who already holds a spiritual office. But he's looking for an individual, a follower of his, someone who says, I am a child of God, to stand in the gap. Right? Right? And uh, to be individuals that are driven and, and understand that, that are seeking God in a deep and close way. To be able to see a, a vision from Him, not just to be able to hear of the visions that others have received. And I want to call you to that. That as we think about what it means to lead in our church here, in your family, in your workspace, you don't have to be overly spiritual and float on a cloud everywhere you go, but hear the voice of God and be a person that speaks the Word of God. Hear Him. As you spend time in closed quarters with God and His Spirit, He will share stuff because you are His child. He will speak to you, right? And so let us be people that are closely and deeply connected to His presence. And secondly, to be Spirit-filled and speak the hard truth, which in essence, a little caveat there, it requires a hard face, right? I love what He said to Ezekiel, I will make your face as hard as the people. <laughs> right? I'll make your face just as hard, right? Because you're going to need a hard face at times. Because everything and in everything that you say and every place that you will lead will not be pleasant. But it will be necessary. That is a part of what it means to follow me. It is to speak hard truth at times. Right? And the last verse that I'll just kind of recap with is in chapter 3 verse 17 when he said, I've appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. Wherever, whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them from me. I, I hope that you look at that word highlighted, watchman, and you say, that I want that to be me. Like, that watchman is me. Right? Because the responsibility and calling of this watchman is great. I mean, in this day, when warfare was done, right, uh, they attacked cities that were fortified and, and walled up. Every city had a wall around it. That's why there were gates into the city, multiple gates all around, right? And perched in, in, in specific strategic places, places on this wall were towers where people could stand and look out into the horizon. And this was a warfare thing. That when an enemy army was coming and advancing against your city from the distance, that there would be a watchman on the wall perched on top of this tower, looking out into the expanse and ready. That I'm looking out and when I see the advancement of an enemy, I will sound the horn, ring the bell, and I will tell everybody that has breath in their lungs, the enemy is coming, destruction is near, flee to safety so that you may live. This was the job of the watchman. This is why slumbering eyes were not good for a watchman. This is why he had with 
all of his passion and energy to be able to just tell it to all of the people of the city when he saw it coming. And this is the imagery that this watchman, that God is saying, I am intending to bring chaos, calamity, and judgment because I have seen these things. And Ezekiel, you are that watchman. You are going to see the advancement of this enemy coming against the people and you are to call to them that they may live. If you call to them and warn them of disaster and they choose not to flee from it, choose not to walk away from it, they will die. You are clear of their blood. But if you know that I am calling you to say this and to do this and you withhold that and you don't warn them, they will die the same, but their blood will be on you, he's saying. right? And that was the call and responsibility of the watchman. And so, to come back full circle to why I speak this message today. As the head of your or future family, I want to say this, you are the watchman, right? In a sense, the blood and victory of your family will first run through you. God calls you to that. That's a high, that's a holy, that is a wonderful thing, right? So let us be individuals first that are inclined to deeply seek after God, hear and be moved by His Spirit, and unafraid to lead in a way where we're leading to the heart of God. And at times this is uncomfortable, right? At times this is hard. It's, I mean, uh, it's hard to, to lead our families this way. It's hard to lead our subordinates this way. It's hard to lead in spaces this way. But... I hope that what God spoke through Ezekiel can speak to you. And when God places a word on your heart with sacrifice and love as your motivation, lead with strength and allow the word of God to come through you. And at times it will require a hard face, but I pray that God gives it to you and He will be able to soften your heart and harden your face. And when that combination comes through, I find that usually good things happen. But when you have a soft face and a hard heart, that's, that's, that's the wrong combination to have, right? Have a softness in here where you love as your first motivation, where you sacrifice and you lay your life down first. But when that moment comes, face that moment with strength and with courage. Amen?